the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode number 255 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I am your host, Ted Hoost, and today we're going to talk about a bunch of Division I lacrosse games, including the game that was most important to me. You might argue that there were more important games being played on this uh, Saturday, and you wouldn't be wrong, but it's my show. So I'm covering number 17 versus number 11, North Carolina, to start this show out. Then we're going to talk about number two and number three, Duke. They had a hell of a game as well. Cornell and Army played to a one-goal game. Uh, Denver has picked up two wins over the course of the last uh, three days or something like that. Penn and Harvard. There's a bunch of Ivy League game, a bunch of Patriot League games that mattered. As always, before I get into it, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you're notified when we put videos out on YouTube. You can always just go to laxfactor.com and find out what the newest episode is. As soon as I upload an episode to YouTube and to Spotify and all the podcast platforms, I always put that up. So you can always go to laxfactor.com, figure out what we're putting out there, and then you can go to laxfactor.com and buy yourself some swag. I want to shut up, though. I want to get right into this, and I want to start talking about this Syracuse and North Carolina game here. Great game. Played at a neutral site in Maryland between Carolina and Syracuse that came that came down to whether or not Syracuse's youth would be able to finally answer the call. With the score tied at 11s, Joey Spelina dodged from the right wing, got underneath his defender, dove to the front of the crease to improve his angle and put it past Krieg with 9.36 left in the fourth quarter. That put Cuse up by a goal. After Logan McGovern tied things back up at 12s, Spelina again tested his man on that right wing closer to GLE, and this time, instead of uh, going underneath, he used a quick release with his hands free to beat Krieg and once again gave Syracuse a one-goal lead. Off the ensuing faceoff, Brandon Avilas picked up a ground ball that got behind the scrum, took it upfield. The slide never came. He stuck it top left to extend the Oranges' lead to two goals for the first time all day. Carolina wasn't done as Griffin Gallagher scored with 5.04 left to get the Tar Heels back to within a goal, and then Dewey Egan scored with 2.43 left in the contest to tie things up at 14s. UNC, they win the ensuing faceoff, and they get off a shot that required Will Mark make a save with 1.57 uh, left in the, in the game to give Syracuse their final possession. Terrible shot. Uh, easy save for Mark, but it was a save nonetheless. Syracuse did a great job running out the clock over the final 142. Spelina took a shot with 54 seconds left that left uh, that Krieg got a piece of that reset the shot clock. Owen Hiltz won the only foot race he has ever won in his entire life uh, to 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 uh, get the run out at the end line to retain the ball for Syracuse. Like I said, that re uh, reset the shot clock. Cuse burned some more time, and then it was Michael Leo. He dodges down the right alley, managed to get underneath his man. On his way to the ground, he gets the shot off. It beats Krieg, and that clinches the game for Syracuse. Now, yes, UNC did win the ensuing faceoff. They did get a shot off to try uh, to tie things up with about three seconds left, but that shot, sailed, that shot sailed wide, and I was happy. We all rejoiced. I watched a game with a bunch of old lax rat pals uh, and uh, you know, at an outside bar. Great atmosphere, great fun, and uh, Cuse wins. So once again, Cuse, they got torched at the faceoff dot. Jack Fine lost 7 of 22. Uh, Recusa lost 3 of 10. So credit Andrew Tyre for dominating the orange once again at the faceoff dot. He won 20 of 29 
and he scored a goal on the day. The Orange shot the ball extremely extremely well as Colin Krieg struggled. He made only eight saves versus 15 goals against. Will Mark was much better. He made 13 stops versus the 14 goals against. Mark has obviously been huge all season, and as I've said over and over again, he's the big reason Syracuse has been able to survive their face-off woes this season, and he's a huge reason why they're right now sitting at 8-5 and five here. Syracuse defense, they did a great job in front of Mark all day. Nick Kikamo forced three turnovers. Caden Cole uh, forced two. Youngster Billy Dwan even forced one in addition to picking up four ground balls. So you, I can't say enough about the Syracuse defense. Someone had talked about how bad Syracuse's defense had been this year, and the reality is despite having a terrible disadvantage in terms of possessions, Syracuse's defense has managed to get them enough stops. Now, yes, you got to credit Will Mark with a lot of that, but th- this is a young defense who's missing their top two poles. I think Clary did play yesterday. This is like whenever I watch the game with people, I never play pay as close attention to the game as when I'm obviously just watching it alone. In the end, I actually prefer watching the games alone just because I pay attention more, but every once in a while, you got to get out and get crunk with your friends and, and watch some shit. Uh, but anyway, moral of the story, the, the Syracuse defense is not that bad. I didn't pay that close attention in terms of trying to see how they really, you know, how everything really shook out. But, you know, knowing that Mark was below 50% on the day in terms of saves and uh, we still win this game despite a terrible disadvantage at faceoffs would imply that they played pretty good. Joey Spelina continued his potentially historic freshman campaign by scoring two goals with two assists. He picked up four ground balls. And, and, and he's not Pat Kavanaugh by any means, but I do like that, that Spelina tends to fact in the stat line across the board you know he had the the, the really bad shooting day uh, and and for the rest of the season though he's put up points he picks up ground balls he rides like a machine so to have your leading scorer yes he's a freshman he's still trying to figure things out a little bit but to have your leading scorer scrap on rides scrap to pick up ground balls like I said I'm not comparing him to Pat Kavanaugh at this stage although you know I mean certainly he's going to have a career uh, like that and it started out really well here as a freshman. Um, But I do like seeing him scrap and getting into the mix and trying to figure out every way that he can to try to help his team. Cole Kirst, he was three and one. Owen Hiltz, one and three. They both had big days as well. And and no play bigger for Hiltz other than that run out. Like I said, I don't think Hiltz has won too many races in his life. And I'm not even sure if technically, if you drew a line, if he was closer to the, where the ball went out of bounds on the end line, it was super close, but I'll take it. And that, that was a huge, Huge play was was him getting to the end line there uh, towards the end. Now, in the end, three of Syracuse's final four goals were scored by freshmen, including the game winner by Leo, uh, two by Spalina, one by Leo. The team's growing up, playing much better lacrosse at this point. And while it may be a little too late to try to you know get into the NCAA tournament and actually be you know be able to make a run there, the roster it looks good, the future looks bright, so I'm happy. Now, for Syracuse, in terms of the tournament. If they, I think this is what I think. I don't think they get in here. I think if they drop these final two games, there's a chance they could drop these final two games and things could just miraculously play out in their favor. Other teams that need to lose could lose. Teams that need to win their conferences could win their conferences, making sure that, you know, some of these conference leaders that might get upset in their conference tournaments don't end up with one of those at large bids. So the stars could align to the point that Syracuse could finish the season eight and seven, one and five in the ACC and still get into the NCAA tournament, but it is almost zero. I mean, that is super unlikely. I think from here though, if Syracuse beats either Virginia or Notre Dame, I think that gets them in. That would, that would have them finishing this season at what would that be? Nine and six. 
uh, and uh, two and four in the ACC. And I think that gets them in, especially if Carolina loses their last two against Notre Dame, which they're likely to. But uh, for Syracuse, if they could just handle their business and win these next two games, just win out, they definitely get in. It's a tall task for them. Winning any either of these final two games is going to be rough for them. But, you know, as a Syracuse fan, I have to hope. For Carolina, they're going to be praying Syracuse loses the next two. I think for Carolina's resume, their RPI, Carolina, Carolina's RPI is pretty tough. It's going to get dragged down here after this Syracuse win here. But if Carolina can win out and Syracuse loses out, or even if just Carolina wins out against Notre Dame and picks up two wins against Notre Dame, they get in. I think the only chance for the ACC to get all five teams in, and I don't think this is going to happen, but I think that if um, if Cuse loses out and Carolina, oh wait, no, that's that's not my point here. Okay, so if Cuse wins out and Carolina wins out in these last the, the the last four games that they each have to play, the last two games that they each have to play, I think if both teams win out, the ACC gets five teams in because I think Virginia, Duke, and Notre Dame they're in pretty much no matter what happens to them. I would assume. So if Cuse and Carolina can pull something out of their ass, they both win their final two games against Virginia, Duke for Syracuse. And against Notre Dame for Carolina, I think all five ACC teams get in at that point. But that, like I said, that is uh, very unlikely. And as we come down here, oh, I already told you about the stats, but as we come down here, this is what I wanted to see. Just look at the face-off disparity. 10 out of 32. That is gross. So a hell of a job by Tyre here. But in the end, the Syracuse, the youngsters for Syracuse managed to pull this out. It, it was a hell of a game, man. I can't say enough good things about it. Next game we have to talk about here. It's going to be number two Duke against number three, or number two Virginia against number three Duke. Now, Virginia had gotten back to within three goals off an unassisted Peyton Cormier goal, but Duke would go on a four-goal run started by Aiden Denenza, quick strike from the left wing on a dish from Owen Caputa, who was a little bit behind GLE. That's 7-3 Duke at this point. Duke won the ensuing faceoff. O'Neal found freshman Aiden McGuire trailing the play, a.k.a. the slow break, baby. Hit him out top. McGuire stepped down and unleashed Fury. 8-3 Duke with 7-11 left in the half. After a UVA penalty, Duke scored an extra man goal with 6.50 left in the half. Dyson Williams from behind GLE finds Caputo up on that left wing. The defense didn't rotate in time, and Caputo ripped one past Noon's top left cheese. 9-3 Duke, and the Blue Devils' last three goals were scored over a 39-second span. It was Brennan O'Neill. He caps that run, scoring unassisted with 4.17 left in the half. Just a quick dodge from X. Just ran, just soaked up the check as he kind of hit GLE. The slide tried to come. O'Neill just ran through it, stuck it left-handed. And uh, the weird thing, though, and this is the crazy part about this whole matchup here. I, I believe it's 2004. Virginia hasn't beat Duke since 2004. Or 2004 may have been the year that this run started. Duke has won 17 straight regular season matchups against UVA. And that's insane. And at this point in the game, UVA's down 10-3. They've got to just have their minds being completely messed with here, where UVA's won two national championships in that time, and they still haven't beat Duke in the regular season, 17 straight meetings. Uh, but they didn't give up. They kept battling back. Duke did keep answering the bell, but the final three minutes of this game were bonkers. Peyton Cormier, he splits a double team, two shorties guarding him, straight up split the two with a dirty swim. He beats Noons high to get Virginia back to within two goals. Xander Dixon would score with 103 left in the contest to get UVA back to within two goals. Uh, in the stat line here, 
uh, as I'm looking, it says that it was unassisted. But as I roll the the uh, highlight, I believe McConvey had that dish. So I think McConvey should have been credited with that assist. But you be the judge as you're watching this here and let me know. Then with under a minute to play, O'Neal took two kind of boneheaded shots here. The first one wasn't too bad. Hit the pipe, goes out of bounds. I think Virginia ended up getting the ball after that. The last one, that final chance for O'Neal, it was a one-on-one with like 20, 30 seconds left on the clock. He gets stuffed. Uh, and instead of just running to X and running out the clock, which he could have done. And Virginia ends up with two shots late with a chance to tie the game. Both were turned away. The first one was turned away by Wilhelm, a hell of a save. The second one, kind of a desperation shot from about the box that Helm was able to go down low and uh, snag. So he, he makes two solid saves over the course of the last 10 seconds of the game to hang on for the victory. Huge factor in this game, Jake Naso dominated Petey LaSala at the faceoff dot. If we come in here and we look at the stats, I always forget Virginia dumbasses. They don't put the face up, uh, faceoff stats up here. Duke didn't have the box score up, but just believe me, Naso won 21 of 32 draws. That's 66%. He picked up nine GBs. LaSala did win a few key draws late in the game to help with UVA's run, but Naso was incredible and is a huge reason why Duke was able to beat the Cavs here for, I think, the 17th or 18th time in a row. Andrew McAdory, he paced Duke with three goals and a dish, and Owen Caputo, Tommy Schelling, and Brendan O'Neill and Dyson Williams, almost forgot Williams. They all put two goals and an assist up on the board. The uh, Duke did a great job limiting Connor Schellenberger once again. Obviously, Schellenberger looks like he's a little bit hobbled. He just had a goal and two assists and only two shots per Virginia stats, which, like I said, I'm not even sure I trust. Schellenberger... Seems hobbled. Uh, they're going to need him to be healthy. Well, it'll be interesting to see how he plays against Syracuse uh, next weekend. Matthew Nunes, he did all he could for Virginia, making 17 saves on the day, but it was Will Helm that got two saves late to seal that win. Uh, seal the win. Helm finished with 12 saves on the day. Now, Virginia turned the ball over way too often, considering how badly the faceoff game was going for them and Petey LaSala. They also turned the ball over often, especially over the course of that first half. It was an absolute shit show. Cormier had three turnovers. Schutz had four. LaSala had three turnovers on draws. He tended to kind of push a couple of draws a little bit too far, got himself into trouble, or into trouble, into trouble. Considering the possession disparity that Naso caused in this game, all of those turnovers were way too costly. Despite that, Virginia able to get back into it and battle back, but... Duke wins the game and the war, and uh, there you go. Duke sweeps Virginia in uh, 2023 during the regular season. Interesting, the two wins that Virginia has picked up have both come in the playoffs, and uh, you know Virginia, like I said, has won two national titles since this run start started, but you know what are you going to do? And I'm not going to go into any bracketology for these two teams. They've both already punched their ticket. They both have resumes that are already worthy. So we're not even going to talk about that. Next game I want to talk about is Cornell and Army. And what is that? Number six, Cornell against number seven, Army. Cornell jumped out to a three-zip lead early thanks to Michael Long, a nifty finish inside off a feed by a feed by J.J. Lombardi. And having Long in the lineup, I'll talk about it later here, but having Long, Long in the lineup for Cornell is going to be key down the stretch. Army would battle back, scoring four of the game's next five goals. The Black Knights would tie things up at fours off a bit of a pick-and-slip action. Action. Evan Plunkett found Burke slipping underneath and getting a step up on that left side from X. 
Plunkett hit him just as he was getting above GLE, and Burrick buries it. Things would go back and forth a bit, but it would be Cornell taking a 9-6 lead off a Spencer Wertheim alley dodge. It saw him get underneath his defender near GLE. He kind of do- dive falls down, improves his angle a bit. He puts it top cheddar. Really nice-looking shot. After Jacob Morin scored a man-up goal to get Army back to within two, Paul Johnson would score three unanswered all by himself to complete a four-goal run for the Black Knights and give them a 10-9 lead. The final goal of that run was stuck by Johnson with 7.34 left in the game. Cornell would score the game's final two goals. Michael Long from CJ Kirst with 3.32 left to play. That tied things up at 10s, and Aiden Blake scored with nine seconds left to play, a dish from Billy Coyle to give Cornell the win. Of course, Technical difficulties uh, resulted in me not having highlights to roll for the that final Army run and for Cornell's final two goals, but what are you going to do here? A uh, huge win for Cornell on a day that they got outplayed. Army had fewer turnovers. They won the faceoff battle. 13 of 24. They went two of five on extra man opportunities to Cornell's 0 and 2, but the Big Red did just enough to keep pace. Now, like I said, having Michael Long is huge. If Michael Long didn't play in this game as he hadn't in previous games, Cornell most likely loses this game here. Kirst came into the game averaging 4.9 goals per game and six points per game overall. He got held to two assists by the Army defense, zero goals. That's the first time this has happened to him all year. And he only had five shots and then uh, also two turnovers. So credit the Army defense for doing a great job against Kirst, the only team that has been able to bottle Kirst up this year. Both goalkeepers played well, uh, uh, played well as well. Uh, Both Knox Dent and Chase Erland made 12 stops on the day, but Dent gave up one more goal than Erland did, and that decided the game in the end. And uh, both of these teams kind of sitting here on the outside. If we look at Army, their RPI now is, this this isn't official RPI, but this is probably pretty close. And Army's IPI, RPI, sitting at 22 right now here. So you see that they're pretty much going to have to get some, pick up some quality wins. They got a couple of games left. They got the Patriot League tournament left to try to pick up some quality wins. They could always just win the tournament here. Uh, Cornell, their, their RPI is really high. And they have, like, I forget who they have left here, but it's not, it's even if they lost those games, I think more than likely they probably get in. They still got the Ivy League tournament as well as a shot. So I think Cornell's good to go. Army, though, one of those teams that's on the bubble, but they do have the conference tournament. And right now they're leading their conference. I think Army is sitting at top the Patriot League, 6-0 and in the Patriot League right now. So they're the obvious favorites to win that. And key for teams like Syracuse and other teams on the bubble, you want all of the conference favorites to win the tournament at the end of the day. So you don't want a team that you know won the regular season but then loses the conference tournament because they've built a good enough regular season resume to maybe get that at-large bid. So for all these teams that are sitting on the bubble – you know, the, the Carolinas, the Villanovas, the Vermonts, the Ohio States, the Utahs, the Michigans, the Princetons, the Syracuses, the Lehigh's, the Armies, all of those teams, they are just hoping that every conference tournament is won by the favorite, the team that did better uh, in the regular season, and that should give them all, you know, somewhat of a chance to win here. But hell of a game at the end of the day. Uh, Denver St. John's, I wanted to talk about this one quick because Denver, they picked up two wins in three days this weekend. They beat Towson 12-10 on Thursday. Short turnaround, now they're playing St. St. John's, they win 12-10 on Saturday. St. John's was uh, 
up 10-7 after Caden Vlasimski scored an unassisted goal with 5.50 left in the third quarter. But Denver would go, go on to score the final five goals of the game here uh, with Michael Lampert scoring three of them, including the eventual game winner on a dish from Noah Manning with 4.17 left in the contest. A.J. Mercurio scored the dagger a little over a minute later. Now, Lampert had a hell of a game, four goals, two helpers off six shots. Now, uh, has, as, as has been the case for Denver multiple times this season, this win was brought to you by Alec Stathakis. He wins 21 of 26 of the faceoffs in this game, 18 ground balls that he picked up. Now, when you win 21 faceoffs and you pick up 18 ground balls uh, uh, in, in that process, that means that you absolutely just smoked your opponent at, at the faceoff dot. That means that you were just winning draw after draw after draw to yourself. So credit Alex Stathakis for helping Denver here because without that effort, Denver probably doesn't win this game or this game's a lot more interesting and they badly needed this win. And the reason they badly needed this win is they have a chance to clinch a tournament bid via their conference tournament, obviously. But they're also sitting pretty with an RPI in the area of 10 or so. The Pios have Marquette and Providence to finish off the regular season. And I'm not sure off hip how many teams in the Big East even, you know, uh, put their put team. Like, I'm not sure how many teams end up in the Big East tournament. If it's only four Denver's going to need to win these next two games as Marquette and Providence are each right behind them in the standings. Both are winnable games. Denver technically should win both, but Denver's been a little bit bipolar this season. That loss to Air Force being the bad loss that they have on their schedule. So their RPI is decent, but that bad loss to Air Force, if it comes down to Denver and another team for the uh, at-large bit, if they don't win their conference tournament, you know Denver's going to need to win out here, maybe even pick up another quality win in their tournament. Then I think their RPI is probably good enough even if they don't win it. But right now they're, you know, not on the bubble. I don't even want to call them on the bubble because they'd be, I think, one of the first couple of teams in or one of the, the last couple of teams to get in here at this stage. But, you know, you still got two games to play and lots of other teams have chances to pick up quality wins. Teams like Syracuse and Carolina who are on the bubble. They're playing, Carolina's playing Notre Dame twice, and Syracuse has Virginia and Duke twice. So Denver doesn't have the opportunity to pick up any more quality wins. So if they lose one of these games, their RPI could get drastically dragged, and that's going to hurt them badly. Uh, but I'm rambling now, so let's move on to the next one here. Number 18, Penn against Harvard. This one, a game of runs. Penn jumped out to a three-goal lead. Harvard answered with a four-goal run of their own. They take a 4-3 lead. Penn scored two straight, taking a one-goal lead. Harvard scored two straight to get the lead back. And then Penn took over from there, scored the game's next six goals, and route to an 11-6 lead that they would never relinquish. Uh, in terms of scoring here, the usual suspects for Penn factored heavily. Cam Rubin, 4-1, James Shipley, Ben Smith, Sam Handley. They all go 2-2 two two on the day, so that wasn't too bad. And then you got to credit down here Emmett Carroll, 16 saves on the day against just nine goals against. So in a game where Penn needed badly to win, because once again, they're sitting at, you know, now they're sitting at five and five in order to be eligible for the NCAA tournament. You have to either win your conference or be at 500 or, 500 or above and have a chance to win uh uh, and have a resume that's good enough to get you an at-large bid. So right now, Penn, they have an RPI of, I believe it was 10 
yep, Penn has an RPI of 10, as you see right there. I, I think if, if the season ended today, they probably get in, but they play Dartmouth and Albany to finish the season, so they have no more chances at improving that RPI. And like I said, other teams will. Uh, a loss to either of those teams is going to drag their RPI into the dirt here, and that would put them firmly on the bubble. Uh, if they can win out, they'll have a chance for a quality win in the Ivy Tournament where they'll hope to get a win and get in. Uh, or with the hope to win the Ivy League tournament and get in. I think if Penn can win out in the regular season, handle your business against these last two teams, uh, I think they pick up a win in the Ivy. I think that pretty much gets them in. But uh, it's tough, man. The, the bracketology crap is pretty crazy, and I'm trying to get my head around it now that we're getting to the end of the season. But, you know, I, I don't freaking know. I don't know how this all works. So either way, big win for Penn. Emmett Carroll, he factored heavily. And we move on to the next game here. We got Loyola against Boston U. The Patriot League is looking absolutely insane at the moment. Boston U came into this weekend's matchup versus Loyola. They were sitting at 4-1 and one in conference play, with Loyola sitting at 3-2. and two. Army 6-0, and oh, Lehigh's 4-1, and one, Navy and Loyola, like I said, both 3-2. and two. So it's a tight race in Boston U. They didn't want to end up sitting at 4-2 and two in play, tied with Loyola at 4-2 and two also. Lucky for the Terriers, the attack trio of Timmy Lay, Vince Dalto, and Lou Perfetto, they all showed up and factored heavily. We'll show you right here. You see Timmy Lay goes 2-4, and four, Perfetto 1-3, and three, Dalto 4-0, and oh, that high-scoring attack trio. They are excellent, and they help Boston U pick up the win here. Uh, let's see, what do we get for Loyola? Uh, goalkeeping, Stout gave up six goals and then got benched after making no saves, and then Loyola went through two additional goalies after that. So rough day in cage for Loyola. Matt Garber looked good in cage, seven saves, nine goals against here, and then uh, they got their back up in the game even. Uh, let's see, what happened at the faceoff dot? For Boston U, Connor Calderon, 15-27. So he wins the bulk of the draws here. That that plays, but, you know, it was a comfortable win for Boston U anyway. And like I said, that conference, it's anyway, I'm not even going to go into crap on that. Boston U, they're, they're not getting in without winning their conference tournament. But with that said, the, you know, they have, a, they have an opportunity to win that conference tournament. I think that's anyone's. I think Army's the obvious favorite at this point. Uh, but, shit, you know, the Patriots, brutal. Next game we're going to talk about here, Brown and Yale. Yale was 0-3, and, and I didn't realize Yale had had gotten this low here at this at this point in the season. Yale was 0-3 in Ivy play coming into this game. They badly needed a win just to even keep their chance of making the Ivy League, Ivy League tournament alive. They succeeded. They're now 1-3 and at the bottom of the Ivy, tied at the bottom of uh, the Ivy with Dartmouth. And they have Dartmouth and Albany left to play. Brown took a 4-1 lead off a Trevor Glavin man-up goal dished by Devin McLean with 5.59 left in the quarter. But Yale would score seven of the game's next eight to take a three-goal lead. And even though Brown would tie things up at eights, Yale would get the lead back almost immediately and then slow roll to victory from there. Yeah, it was right here. You see, uh, boom. Where was it that Brown tied it up? Yeah, right here. You see Brown tied it up at eights right there and then just what seconds later Chris Lyons scored for Matt Brandau and they take the lead they don't give it back up again and they you know kind of slow roll to win uh, I'm not sure what this means for Yale because I'm not sure off hip here and I didn't take the time to look how many teams make the Ivy tournament I presume it's obviously four it could even be five with uh, the number one team getting a bye or something odd like that uh, the reality here though they don't have any bad losses their losses are pretty 
right, you know, pretty decent, like in terms of every single loss was to a decent a team with a decent RPI. They have wins over Villanova, UMass, and Denver. Those are decent, but at five and four and a chance they don't make the Ivy League tournament, you know, that they're going to have to keep their blinders on here, win their final two games, and then see what happens. And like I said, if, if five teams make the Ivy League tournament, I think they've got a pretty good chance to get in. If only four make it here. I, I haven't done all the run all the scenarios yet, but it's crazy to think that we might have a Yale a tournament without Yale here in it for the Ivy League. Next one we have to talk about here is going to be Hobart and St. Joseph's. Hobart trailed this entire game until Bradley Simus tied things up at eights off a feed by Will Delano with one second left in the third quarter. James Green scored a man up goal that gave Hobart a 9-8 lead with 8.41 left to play, and then St. Joseph's needed to score three of the game's final four goals to come back and pull off that one-goal win. St. Joseph's currently sitting at the top of the A-10 with a 3-0 and record with UMass and High Point on the docket to finish their season. Hobart falls to 1-2 and in A-10 play with second place Richmond and then UMass left to play. So things don't look good for Hobart because they've got to play two very good teams to finish the season here, but St. Joe's is right in the Atlantic 10 mix here with everybody else. Uh, I think it's Richmond, UMass and High Point are the top four teams here in the A-10. Oh, one thing I wanted to look at here was Zach Cole. I had said that Zach Cole was probably going to roll here, but that uh, Adam Shea at times has played good against some of the top guys in the country. Last year, he had a couple of games that were solid, but Zach Cole, 16 to 24, so he rolls in that. And then we've got what, Bomber? With three assists, Levi Anderson with three goals. Zach Cole had two goals. So not only did he dominate at the dot, Cole scores two goals to go with that. That's pretty crazy here. And uh, yeah, that's going to be it for that one. So now we're going to kind of rip through here and look at this. Utah has been an interesting read here because they're just crazy here. If you look at what they did, yeah, they they started out one and four. But since they've been on and, and and since they started one and four, really their only quality win, I would say, is against Jacksonville. This doesn't look bad. That doesn't look bad. So they really haven't played anybody in the stretch. But if you look at what they're doing offensively, they put up 14 goals in that loss to Rutgers. That's not too bad. And then they score 15 against Bellarmine. Even that win's not that impressive. But then 24 to 11, 18 11 against a decent Air Force squad, 18 to 15 win over Jacksonville, 26 goals they put up against Robert Morris, 22 against Linda Wood. No, no one cares. And then 22 against Mercer. Defensively, they are not great. But offensively, Jordan Hyde, he's sitting at 43 and 4 on the season so far. Tyler Bradbury's 22 and 20. He's that 50 50 threat there. So offensively, Utah is playing well. And they finish the season here against Cleveland State and Queens. Their only chance, the only chance Utah has, despite this, you know, eight and four record that looks like they're probably going to finish ten and four. The only chance they have is to win their conference tournament here, the A Sun tournament. And where are they right now? Oh yeah, Utah sitting at the top of the A Sun, seven and zero right now. I still like Jacksonville to win this here, but I think this is really just a two-team race between Utah and Jacksonville. Uh, what's another one we want to talk about here? Uh, UMass beat up on St. Bonaventure. Let's see what the Drip King did in terms of face-off wins. we got to do our, our weekly Drip King uh, um, check-in here. Caleb Hammett, 10 of 15 at the face-off dot. Did he score a goal? Did the Drip King score a goal? He did! The Drip King scored a goal. Caleb Hammett has a goal in the game. Is that his first goal of the season? It is. The Drip King, he goes scoreless all the way down through to here. Picks up an assist against High Point, has a big game against St. Bonaventure, and scores his first goal of the season. So congratulations to Drip King, uh, Riz King, and his many followers. 
let's see what else we got here. Delaware picked up a pretty big win against Stony Brook. What did that? What did the uh, attackman here do? Ooh, Delaware. JP Ward three assists. Ty Kurtz two and one. Mike Robinson three and zero. Oh. So uh, uh, Stony Brook did a good job of limiting those guys. Dylan Palinetti three goals in the win. Jason Kohler comes up big for Dela- Delaware. He picks up three goals in the win. What happened in the goalie battle here? Kill Carey. 10 saves, nine goals against, and uh, actually both goalies played well. Uh, Jason, Jameson McLeckling, I don't even know. We're not even going to say that dude's name, and we're going to end that one right there. But Stony Brook goalie, he played solid as well in their loss. Georgetown, this was one I failed to look at, and I probably should have uh, brought this up. So let me do something here. Georgetown lacrosse schedule 2023. I I actually want to see the box score on this one because I forgot – in my haste yesterday, actually, what I should just admit is in my drunkenness yesterday, I forgot to draw this up. All right, so what do we have here? I know uh, uh, Dordovic had a butt- buttload of goals. Tucker Dordovic scored the game winner in overtime, 248 left in the overtime period. It's his, uh, I think it was his fifth goal of the game at this point. We'll look at the stats here, but Dordovic scores the game winner for Georgetown uh, to get the win over Marquette. Marquette has played a bunch of teams tougher than I would have thought they would, you know, despite that 11 and six record here. Let's see. What did Dordovic do for points? Yep. I was right. Five goals for Dordovic off 11 shots. A hell of a job. Brian Minikis, one and three, Jacob Kelly, two and two. They're both transfers. TJ Haley, the returner, oh, and four. And like I said, one of uh, the reasons I think that they're playing so much better here at this point, uh, Georgetown uh, specifically is because they're getting the the returners, not the transfer guys, but the returners are getting more involved. Yes, your top three scorers on the day are all transfers, and then you got even Nikki Solomon in here. So what? Four of your top six scorers on the day were transfers, but I don't care. Uh, just make sure you're getting guys like TJ Haley, Graham Bundy Jr., uh, Decl- uh, Declan. Declan McDermott, Aiden Carroll. Make sure you're getting those guys involved in Georgetown. Should continue to be okay. Once again, uh, the Big East in terms of play, it's, you know, we got Georgetown, Denver. They're going to be threatening here at the top. I like Georgetown for being able to win that Big East tournament, but, you know, Villanova, Denver, Marquette, they're all playing pretty solid lacrosse. Even Providence has played some decent and tight games. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out down the stretch. Can't believe I almost forgot that one. I did watch the Vermont and the Bryant game. We watched a little bit of that. Vermont picks up the one goal win, and that's a big one for the America East. And I know I just am beating a horse to death here, but the Ver- Vermont winning out is going to only help the chance, the chances that Syracuse has. I think in order, if Syracuse is going to only need to win one of the next two and get in, I think that's just about going to require that Vermont wins out and then wins the America East because that'll just keep cranking Vermont's RPI up and that, that improves Syracuse. It just gives Syracuse some uh, every time Vermont's won over this stretch here, that's improved Syracuse's RPI just a little bit as Vermont's has gone up. So they got to play UMass Lowell and UMBC to finish the season heading into the America East tournament and Vermont right now, five and zero in the America East. But you look at the race here at the top. I mean, we got Binghamton who Vermont beat by a small margin, Bryant and Albany all sitting here at the top. UMBC is even a, a, a danger here. So, that's something that we should all watch. Who 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 scored here? David Klosterman one and three. Tristan Whitaker here goes five and zero oh for Vermont. Huge day. What did we have done here at the faceoff dot? Tommy Burke got smoked by this Nathan Lalibert. However you pronounce that, badly. Tommy Burke had a rough day. Thirty five percent against this Nathan Laliberti, or however you pronounce that. So that's pretty nuts. 
And um, Richmond beat High Point. That was a big conference game for them. And now we've got games. I don't know what happened here. All that game got postponed due to weather, most likely. So, I, you know, guys, I'm sitting here thinking, what I've been rambling now for 35 minutes. I might do the remaining pre uh, uh, recap shows for this season on Mondays because I hate missing this game here and this game here. I'm going to talk about these games, especially for the Big Ten, because those are really important. We'll talk about Lehigh's game, how they finished with Colgate as well, because that is big for uh, Patriot um implications and all that but yeah I, I hate that there's Sunday games that are played that I end up not being able to cover especially these Big Ten games because right now the Big Ten is just an absolute dogfight between all these guys here I think that uh, Penn State and Maryland are probably both going to pick up wins today that's what I'm predicting but uh, I wish I could talk about their outcomes Wednesday show when I'm doing the weekend preview show on Wednesday I'll lead that preview show talking about these two games right here and then maybe a little bit about Lehigh and Colgate and uh, that's all I got time for today, people here. So uh, I'm going to get out of here. As I've said before, you can always go to laxfactor.com, watch our videos and all that crap there, buy some swag, support us that way. Uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Continue to share the, sh share the show with your homeboys and your friends. And that is it. Come back Wednesday. Watch the weekend preview show. And Hoost is out. Lax Factor. The Lax Factor Podcast.